1: In this episode of the Bell Tell. the UDA. Why does it still exist? It was an impressive show of strength by the UDA, but that's why they staged
0: the march. We're the young moderns coming through the UDA ranks, and we have risen, and we will do what we say we'll do. We will burn and pillage. We will do it.
1: 28 years since the Loyalist ceasefires, 28 years of murderous feuds.
0: They our comrades of the UFF, second Italian company. It is up to us to defend our culture. Do surrender. It was a parade by the Ulster Defence Association, the UFF's parent organisation, which brought gun law to the shankle. The Ulster Freedom Fighters reserves the right to shoot any person seem to be attacking Protestant homes. This
1: afternoon the people who drove the Adair faction out of the shackle were among thousands of UDA men who attended the funeral of Joan Gregg shot by C Company in Belfast at the weekend. Still armed, still committing crimes, still
0: controlling loyalist areas. You know, they see themselves almost as a continuation or a wing of the British army, they're nothing of this sort. You know, gangsters, thugs, they're murderers, the drug dealers.
1: What sort of organisation is it today? How does it operate, and why? I'm joined by Kieran Barnes, chief reporter with the Sunday Life. So, Kieran, I suppose for an international audience, what is and what was the UDA?
0: The UDA is the Ulster Defence Association. It was formed in 1971. It's a it's a loyalist organisation which. Um, was made up of um, several street gangs at the beginning. Um, they were set up to defend what would be seen as Lloyd Asturias from attacks from by Republicans right at the beginning of the Troubles when thousands of people were being killed every year. So these street gangs... Um, which used the term Defence Associations, um, sprang up around Belfast, they sprang up around other predominantly Unionist towns and areas across Northern Ireland. And in 1971, they came under the banner of the Ulster Defence Association. The decision to call the UDA back onto the streets was taken within an hour of today's bomb blast in the Standard Bar. The explosion came less than 24 hours after a barman was shot dead in another pub just 50 yards away. Tonight, UDA volunteers wearing their paramilitary uniforms are helping to control traffic along the Shankill Road. Now, it's important to remember that at the time when the UDA was formed in 1971, it was a perfectly legal organisation. You could openly be a member of the UDA. Uh, The UDA quickly descended into sectarian attacks, multiple, multiple murders, But because it was a legal organisation They had And they remain a legal organisation They had to claim those killings Under a flag of convenience So the Ulster Freedom Fighters Became an arm of the UDA Which um, carried out murders On behalf of the UDA But because the UFF was claiming these killings, it allowed the UDA to then distance the group from from the murders. So this went on. It, it was an open secret. You know, everyone knew the UDA was involved in sectarian killings, and bombings, and murders, and criminality, extortion, racketeering. Uh, and finally, in 1992, the government, the British government, outlawed them. But that was 21 years after it was set up, and 21 years after, you know, the dogs in the street, and everybody in Northern Ireland knew that it was a, a sectarian gang.
1: And again, just I suppose for the uninitiated, how different are or were the UDA from the UVF?
0: For many, many years, the UVF and and the UDA have have, have vied for control of, of, of criminality and racketeering. Uh, and, and scams in, in loyalist areas now the UVF would always be seen as being more political the UVF would UVF members would kind of look down their nose on UDA members the UVF had been around a lot longer um, they would see themselves as a, as the more legitimate of the organisations they would claim to have uh, the hold their membership to higher standards so um, the UVF would see themselves as being more leaked than the UDA they would consider the UDA just to be thugs without any sort of political aspirations, whereas the UVF would. At present, uh, the, the, the most recent security service estimate of both the strength of the UVF and the UDA in Northern Ireland has the UVF at around 7,500 members and the UDA at around 5,000. But during the height of the Troubles, when the UDA was a legal organisation, the UDA was the, had the most members of any paramilitary gang in Northern Ireland. You're talking tens of thousands.
1: Tens of thousands of people at one stage as
0: you say. Now But it's important it's important also the point that of those tens of thousands of members, only a couple of hundred, perhaps less, would have been involved at the coalface face of the troubles, they would have been involved in the violence. The majority, the vast majority of its members, would have just been card carrying members who showed up at protests, who got involved in street disorder. They wouldn't have been going out with guns and bombs and killing people.
1: Well, the Loyalist ceasefire was 28 years ago. So how does the UDA justify its existence today?
0: Well, after the ceasefires, it did play a role in promoting peace and promoting a good Friday agreement, even though a considerable section of its membership would have been opposed to peace. Um, You had politicians like um, Gary McMichael and um, Davy Adams down in, uh, in Lisburn, and they and they done a lot of good work in, in promoting a Good Friday Agreement and, and promoting peace. And these are genuine loyalists. These are people who wanted to see change in Northern Ireland and who were committed to peace. But that commitment to peace means that you have to abandon criminality. And they're very powerful and influential figures within the UDA who did not want to give up the power that they had over their own communities, who did not want to give up the money that that brought did not want to give up the drug dealing. Did not want to give up the extortion, the blackmail, the racketeering, and they ended up forcing anyone with any sort of hopes or aspirations that they could transform the UDA and the community-based organisation. They forced them out, and, and good people who were trying to change the UDA from within, and um, they ended up walking away or being pushed away.
1: So, what does the UDA of today do? What do those five thousand people do?
0: Um, it's it's a criminal gang. It's just an out no criminal gang. Now, the UDA always had a federal system where, unlike the UVF, we had a central control and central uh, command. The UDA didn't. The UDA was broke up into six brigade areas. So you had North Belfast, West Belfast, which covered the Shankle, East Belfast, South Belfast, uh, South East Antrim, and North Antrim and East Londonderry. So within those six brigade areas, you had a leader and people within those brigade members within those brigade areas answered to each of those six leaders now occasionally they did come under uh, they did meet under the auspices of what was termed the inner council and it was the six brigadiers from across Northern Ireland making and deciding policy and deciding things but you know the control rested the brig, brigadiers in their own areas had control of that area you know someone from like South Belfast couldn't tell someone from North Belfast what to do and vice versa so it was a, it was like a, it was a federal organization which met um collectively at times to make overall decisions and since um over the past ten years uh it's just it's just broken down into six separate rival organizations who don't meet under the inner council banner anymore they're just six organized crime gangs. Based in six different locations in Northern
1: Ireland, and brigadier is a great title in terms of the power that the brigadier would have. So-called brigadier, where would where would it come from, and would they have would they have an organisation and a complex organisation answering to it
0: them? It would be it not be particularly particularly complex. A lot of those brigadiers have been there for a long time. Jackie MacDonald in South Belfast had been brigadier for almost twenty years. Um, so you know the, these are. Gary Fisher out in South East Androm, he's been there the best part of 20 years too. So the these are these are very, very powerful individuals. If they the the power of life or death, you know, they they if they ordered someone to be murdered, um, they would have people within that organisation who would go and carry out those murders. It's hugely lucrative as well, because if you're a UDA member, you have to pay what's known as your dues each week. So you pay five pounds in dues per week. Okay. So say in South East Androm, the police estimate there's about 2,500 UDA members in South East Antrim so that's 2,500 fivers going in the central coffer every week so that's twelve and a half grand going to the brigadier every week and that's without him that's without anyone selling the drug that's without anyone demanding protection money that's just £12,500 every week so you can see just from the the organisation and membership structures the money that it's worth and these organisations these crime gangs these they are worth millions. You know, they, they aren't talking like small-time um, street gangs. These are sophisticated enough crime gangs that own property, that own bars, that own, um, they put their money into shops, uh, taxi tappos. You know, these they are they're heavily, heavily involved in drugs. So these are sophisticated crime gangs. These aren't these aren't just you know bums on the street corner.
1: So you pay them. So there's no, there's no, there's no illusion of being some sort of soldier.
0: No, you pay to be a member, and what that does tells you to is protection from the UDA. So um, it means that it means that uh, say you get involved with a, a, a row with a UVF member or a member of the a general member of the public from a loyalist area, they know that if they were to get a row with you, it there would be revenge from from the UDA. So it offers you some degree of protection, but people are more or less used. Most most members um, are, not active. You know, when you get when you get when you join these organisations, you're given the choice of military or welfare. Nearly everyone picks welfare. That means you are showing up at street protests, going along the meetings, having to attend functions every year, coming out in remembrance Sunday, and and laying poppy wreaths and and taking part in bomb parades. The ones of small handful who who choose military, they're the ones who are involved in in shootings, um, mostly involved in the drug dealer, mostly involved in the in the extortion. But you know, the UDA, if you were to add up the income from each of the six UDA brigades every year. You're talking in excess of £10 million. And that's, and that's not an exaggeration. You know, I would say that's a more conservative estimate.
1: Now, when we think of many loyalist groups and when we think of well, many paramilitary groups and when we think of the UDA, they're often connected with housing estates, particular areas. And perhaps we don't really think that they have much influence or or say or power outside of those specific areas. Is that true, or, or am I being naive?
0: No, to a certain extent, that's right. The power bases are centred in you generally working class loyalist houses the estates in in Northern Ireland. Um, you know, people who live there live under the jackboot of the UDA. You know, there's no there's no getting away from that. They know that if they want to continue to live in that particular area, safe from harm, they can't um, annoy the UDA, they can't get in conflict with the UDA. Or they'll just get put out. It's as simple as that. Uh, the House will attack them they'll be told to leave. So when you, they cast, a, the UDA casts a long shadow over, over these areas. And, you know, even with regular criminals who are based in if you're dealing drugs in a UDA area, you have to pay a tax to the UDA. You won't be allowed to deal drugs in that area unless you pay them. And, there's other ones in in those there's, say there's other drug dealers in there in those areas, and they um, they're only allowed to deal UDA drugs. So when it comes to criminality in these 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 oh, towns the states throughout Northern Ireland, which is the UDA control, you know the UDA it, it take a taste of everything, they take a cut of everything, and if you don't give them that cut, you can't operate in in those areas. Now the UDA will come out every. November and they'll lay reads at Remembrance Sunday and they'll say that, you know, they're they see themselves almost as a continuation or a wing of the British Army. They're nothing of the sort. You know, they're gangsters, they're thugs, they're murderers, they're drug dealers. And people within loyalist areas have woken up to that. They know what they are. But the fact remains is that you know, they, they, they if you want to live in a in a loyalist housing estate, you know, you've gotta you've gotta bend the knee to the UDA somewhat and The police have allowed the answer for that. You know, the police should be going in there and the police should be doing more to help these communities and arresting these brigadiers because the the names of the brigadiers appear in the Sunday Life every every weekend. The police know who they are. Yet there seems to be a lack of willpower to do something about it. And the same with politicians. You know, politicians pose for photographs. Senior politicians pose for photographs with known UDA members. Back in 2016, when the Social Investment Fund was launched, um, Arlene Foster who was the first minister at the time of the UP leader she posed for a photograph with d who's the who at the time was UDA leader in North Down and he was later arrested um, by police in connection with terrorism investigations so you know when you see a, a senior politician posing for a photograph with a with a known UDA leader and you live in a you you know you live in a working class to You're looking at that and you're going, my chance to have. What is the point of me going and reporting anything to the police about what these guys are doing because they've got endorsement from from politicians.
1: Now, one of the estates we're going to mention today is uh, the Westland Estate in in North Belfast. For those outside of Belfast, I mean, how would you describe Westland?
0: It's a it's a small estate in North Belfast, which kind of sandwiched between the Clenvil Road and niceless Clenvil Road. Cave Hill Road and, and the loyalist, big loyalist area known as Bally It's a tough working class estate. Um, it's, you know, it's, it suffers from social deprivation quite a lot. It's, um, the Westland has been abandoned. The people living there would tell you they've been abandoned when it comes to social and economic funding. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a small area, but there's a lot of good people live there. And I, I would know a few and, um, and it's, it would be under the control of the area. Oh well, when I say the UDA, I mean al- former UDA elements.
1: And the UDA in that area has long been associated with the surname Shukri. It doesn't sound all Sir Scots to me. No,
0: it's not. It's an Egyptian surname. It's um, it's the, the guys living there. There's a family living there. Co- brothers living there called the Shukris, the Andre and Ahab Shukri, and they were both senior UDA members. They were both leaders of the organisation at North Belfast at one time. And um, their father was uh, Egyptian, Coptic Christian, he came here in the um, he came here in the seventies and eighties. And Andre and IHAB were born, IHAB died in 2008 of a drugs overdose and um, Andre has moved around since then. He was the brigadier, the UDA brigadier, so-called brigadier in North Belfast and then he was forced out by his own organisation. Around 2006, 2007, as were all his supporters, they were driven. They were, fo- they, they were forced to flee the West Westland estate when crowds of UDA men um, from other brigade areas appeared, and they, they moved to different parts. Now um, Andre served sentence for uh, nine or ten years for blackmail and extortion. He's a previous conviction for unlawful killing, and uh, another conviction for possession of a firearm. So he moved out. Um, after after his his gang was kind of forced out of stood down from the UDA and forced out of the Westland power base in North Belfast, he served his prison sentence, went to live in South East Antrim for a while, and then in recent years he's he's came back to the Westland and he's been he's been back there for for the past two or three years.
1: Feuds are very much part of the nature of the UDA, of course.
0: Yeah, they are, and there's been several. You know, South East Antrim there recently, but in the last few years you had Jordy Gilmore and Colin Horner who were murdered as part of a feud. In 2016, Andre's best friend was murdered during a feud, a guy called John Borland. Um, John, like Andre, um, would have been a former leader of the UDA in North Belfast. Um, when Andre's mob were forced out, he refused to go. And John had a real tough nut reputation, a hard guy reputation. And um, he, was, he was basically living just off the Westland Road in, in a in the, the Silverstream area and he um, he was putting it up to UDA leaders and UDA members in, in North Belfast he was saying you aren't forcing me out I'm not going and they were afraid of him because he had this tough guy reputa- reputation he was, a, he was a really tough street fighter and they, uh, they got to the stage where they f- thought he was just causing them too much, too much trouble so they waited on him leaving a bar in North Belfast in August 2016 it was a Sunday night they'd been out watching the football And they lay in wait for him and ambushed him with a shotgun as he was going back to his flat. And they uh, shot him twice with the shotgun he died at the scene. It had a huge impact on Andre, you know, that that killing. Um, And um, he vowed revenge. Uh, uh, It led to another shooting about six months to a year later. A guy called Glenn Harwood, who's a convicted killer. You know, he survived an attempt on his life um, by what was believed to be friends of, of John Borden. Harwood had been arrested in connection with the murder of um Borden, but freed without charge. Three other people were convicted in connection with it of, of assistant offenders and they served prison sentences.
1: And Kieran there was a gun attack in Westland at the end of May.
0: Yeah, there was um, there was a fella called Dean Rice who was shot. Now, I want to stress, Dean Rice has absolutely no links to criminality um, as far as, you know, having a record or stuff like that, as far as the police are concerned, but he was targeted. And he was targeted simply because he is a friend of a guy called Alan McLean Jr. Alan McLean Jr. is a convicted drug dealer who now lives in the Westland estate. Um, he's believed to be involved in running drugs rackets in the Westland estate and a rebel gang. And believed to be headed up by Andre Shukri, is vying for control of these rackets in in the Westland estate and the gun attack on Dean Rice is being blamed on the, the Shukri gang and it's around this whole issue of trying to gain control of criminality and drug rackets in the Westland area.
1: The UDA, what sort of international links would they have with criminality?
0: Well, Not, not a huge amount. They source drugs from, despite being loyalists, you know they source drugs happily from Kenahan Link groups in Dublin. That's where the majority of their cocaine and their cannabis comes from. They're also involved with um, gangs based in Northwest England, around the Lancashire, Liverpool area, and they would be another um, key source of drugs for them. But as far as um, as far as going beyond the Northwest of England and and Southern Ireland, they wouldn't be they they wouldn't be international. They would be more British Isles based gangs.
1: You've mentioned the numbers involved in organisations like the UVF and the UDA in their heyday, how would that have compared to Republican paramilitaries at the time?
0: Oh, there would have been more. There would have been more loyalist paramilitaries um, at the time, um, just because the UDA was a legal organisation, it was a legal entity. So you could be a UDA member and you could be arrested for it, you couldn't be charged in connection with it. That was the crime. So after '82. The, you, saw, you saw a fall off in 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 membership, and you only have to look at parades. You know, even even to this present day, if you see loyalists having a parade, or dissident republicans having a parade when they when they dress up and they, they do the cosplay and they put on the you know they put on the uniforms, there's always way more loyalists. You know, and loyalists are recruiting much more among young people at present than dissident republicans are. Um,
1: I suppose for some people listening, they would be wonder, especially people in an international audience for for example, might think, well, is there a mirror image of the UDA in Republican communities?
0: Uh, yeah, I would think so. Uh, yeah, there is, yeah. There's um, certain elements of the new IRA are involved in extorting drug dealers and um, and uh, rob- robberies and racketeering. And the police would also accuse the NLA of being involved in, in, in those. So, uh, you know, in the eyes of, uh, and certainly in the eyes of the PSNI, the UDA and UVF are mirror images, of the new RNA and LA on the Republican end,
1: but would those Republican organisations be as strong in their communities? No,
0: they wouldn't. The wind of the numbers. Um, I think it's noticeable for me that the nationalist politicians are far more proactive in calling out paramilitary violence within their own community than loyalist or unionist politicians are when it comes to loyalist paramilitaries. And, and I think that that helps keep down the numbers of people. Willing to join organisations and nationalist communities in comparison to uh, the unionist communities. I think that often um, unionist communities are let down by their politicians when it comes to paramilitaries. I do. I really believe that.
1: I suppose, in a practical, practical question, do they do they have access to large amounts of firearms?
0: They do. Yeah. Uh, the largest paramilitaries and Republican Republic and paramilitaries decommissioned as part of the peace process, but not all of the weapons were decommissioned. You know, they kept guns behind, and the majority of guns which were kept behind, and this applies to all paramilitary organisations, were handguns. You know, AK-47s, rifles, machine guns. They're no, they they're of no use to um, paramilitaries now because, you know, yeah. Gone are the days when You kicked open a bar door Or the door of a bookies And shot as many people as possible Or you attack police With a rifle So handguns are much Easier to hide They're much easier to move And they're far Of far more use When it comes to um, Doing Loan killings Or Killing one individual Or putting it in the face Of a criminal And saying right I want ten grand off you So handguns are Far more valuable currency Than, than rifles are So um, There was Handguns held back A substantial amount of handguns by by the UDA, by the UVF, by the IRA uh, and the NLA.
1: And I suppose another question is we've 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 spoken in terms of criminality uh, for the most part about the UDA. Of course, they would say that they're a political organization. Are they any threat to peace now, especially in the context of the arguments we're having over the protocol?
0: No, I don't think they are. I think the UDA are heavily compromised when it comes to um, informants. Uh, you only have to look. So John Stevens, the, who was a, a senior police officer in England, came over here to investigate the West Belfast UDA around the its, its involvement in the murder of Pat Finucane, the human rights lawyer. And this is going back over 25 years, but Stevens investigated 210 UDA members based on the Shackle Road. 207 of them were registered informants so that shows you the level of infiltration the security services have in the UDA so um, uh, if, uh, and yet they still exist yeah and yet they still exist and yet they still are blights on the communities yeah that's very true um, but they are heavily heavily infiltrated and if I think that if, the secure, if there was a real real desire there to shut the UDA down tomorrow I believe that the uh, I believe the security services could do could, could, could achieve it I really do
1: Kieran, thanks very much. This episode of The Bell Tale was produced by myself, Kieran Dunbar, sound designed by Graham Davidson. The clips were from AP, the BBC, Sky News, RTE, and The Sunday World. When you get an Irish independent digital subscription, you don't just get access to the news at your fingertips. For a limited time, you'll also receive a €75 O'Neill's gift card. So what are you waiting for? Get the whole kit and caboodle. Visit independent.ie forward slash subscribe today. Irish Independent. Terms and conditions apply.